Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host, Amanda Arriaga, First Latina Bar President. This podcast is made possible by the Texas Bar Foundation. Today, we talked to Kathy Richardson, founder of HR Legal Search and the first Black female to serve as Assistant Dean of the Career Services Office at UT Law. Kathy is a graduate of American University and the University of Texas School of Law. She spent six years as the Assistant Dean for Career Services, and in 2004, co-founded the Austin Office of Major Lindsay in Africa, then founded HR Legal Search in 2006. She has served on the steering committee of the Texas Minority Council Program for the State Bar of Texas, is an active member of the Corporate Council Women of Color, and is an active member of the Center for Women in Law and the Austin Black Lawyers Association. In 2022, Kathy was the recipient of the Pathfinders Award from the Travis County Women's Lawyers Association. In a selfless twist for some attorneys, Kathy has described that her dream job is to support others as they look for their dream job, and she's an expert at that. I'm so happy to have with us today, Kathy Richardson. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Amanda. Love being here. I'm excited to have you because you are so different than everyone else we've talked about because you wanted to be a lawyer to help other lawyers. Uh, almost kind of, sort of. I mean, I actually it, didn't, I didn't want to be a out. lawyer. Okay. Okay. Well, how did you become a lawyer? Um, I'd be, I mean, kind of the, the short story or the long story is that I wanted to be a career counselor. I worked at my undergraduate career services office and absolutely loved career services and everything about it, love and still love helping people get jobs, was thinking about what I was going to do after I graduated from college. My mom and I were having a conversation at a Chinese restaurant on the Jersey Shore. I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And my mom thought that a JD would be a much better degree than getting a master's in counseling. And my fortune cookie came and said, you would make a good lawyer. And so that is how I made my way to law school. Do you think your mom secretly planted that fortune cookie? I always wonder that. But going to law school, and we actually, both of us moved from New Jersey to Texas. I um, applied to public law schools in warm places. <laughs> and Texas was the best law school that I got in in a warm place. Um, but now could you make us less warm? Because we're warm enough. So if you could, if you could go back to the fortune cookie and say... In moderate temperatures. Right. <laughs> where you don't have to sweat all the time. So you went to law school, you went to a great law school, and you never became a traditional law firm lawyer. Instead, you immediately wanted to go back to your career services roots. Um, how did you decide that that was still your path? You took three years of classes and still stayed committed to what you wanted. I decided that probably on the first day of law school. I walked in and felt like I was wired a little bit differently than everybody else. And uh, thankfully, I had that skill set from working in career services and knowing how to think about my values and my strengths and my skills and what I like, what brings me joy. And I remembered how much I like helping people get jobs and preparing their resumes and um, prepping them for interviews and negotiating compensation and all those fun things that I could do that for lawyers. And so I pretty quickly started looking for a role where I could w work with law students and lawyers. My first job out of law school was with the, at the time it was called the National Association for Public Interest Law. Um, now it's called Equal Justice Works, but I organized the largest public interest career fair in the country right out of law school. How soon after that did you get recruited back to UT Law? Um, we actually, uh, at, the, at the time I had a, a young child. Um, we were living in D.C. D.C. wasn't quite the right speed for me anymore after spending three years in Austin and um, moved back to Austin, worked part-time. I actually did something that I 
don't recommend, which is that I brought a baby to a job interview. And so I had um, a young baby. I don't have any family here. I'm, I'm the only, only one. Most of my family's in the East Coast and in Michigan. Um, but we brought, I, I, I got a part-time role. And um, shortly after that, the Dean of Career Services at the time resigned. And they quickly started asking me if I was interested in the role. And I pretty quickly said no. Um, but they persisted. And about a year later, I was the Dean of the Career Services Office. And law students aren't always the easiest to work with. I know from maybe from personal experience of having been one. Um, and you stay committed. You were committed those years to making sure that law students found their path. Why is that so important to you as a person? And like we, we spend more time at work than we do with our friends and our family over the course of our lifetime. And so one of my, and it's in my bio, everyone deserves to love their job. I feel that in my, my soul. And so I feel like it's what I was put on this earth to do. And I've been blessed to find my passion. I started working in career services when I was 19 years old. And um, I still work, you know, in some form of, of really, I'm in career services, but I, I place lawyers now. And I also, I think, you know, I also do uh, lawyer wellness. It's a part of, it's, it's connected to working with, with law firms and companies and lawyers to help find the right fit. Do you want to talk about some of the lawyer wellness initiatives that you have? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one is that I'm getting ready to facilitate my sixth lawyer wellness retreat. Um, it's my fifth in Barbados. I'm blessed to have a friend that has a villa in Barbados. And so we have a sold out retreat coming up in March. Um, I did do a retreat for a friend um, and some of her girlfriends. There were almost all lawyers here at, in um, outside of Austin at the Lost Pines. and. Um, I don't know. I've done I've done a lot of talking on on wellness more and more. I'm very vocal about it because I feel like as a community, I want to normalize that conversation. Lawyers so often are in their heads, and a lot of the conversations I hear lawyers having are about mental health and the profession and our mental well being. I think all of that's super important. But I also think and know we can't think our feelings. We have to feel our feelings, and so our Mental and emotional health are slightly different things, and I really want us to access a part of ourselves that as lawyers, I think we downplay how how it feels, and in order to heal, we have to feel. And I wonder at some point if it's generational, if that will change, because growing up in a growing up with parents in the generation that nothing's wrong with you, stop crying, right. Put Neosporin on it. Put Windex on that. I think you still have some, you've got some repressed Gen Xers, you know, Gen Yers that, well, we're not going to talk about our feelings because we were told we didn't have any. But I do think that the kids these days understand that more. So maybe that will cycle through. I actually do. I, I do agree. I do feel like the next generation of lawyers is demanding um, more from their workplaces. They want psychological safety. Um, they want to be seen. They want to be heard. They don't want to be seen too much, though, because they want that flexibility of working from home. And I do feel like that that next generation is really leaning in to well-being in a way that I'm leaning as well. It does feel like a calling. And it does feel connected to recruiting because, like I said, we spend more time at work than we do with our friends and our family. And so what's your workplace like? How does it feel when you walk in? How do you feel? And um, all of that matters. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I bet that those are now questions that you didn't maybe get 10 years ago of what's the environment like. Yeah, no, I do feel like the, especially after COVID and after, I feel like people are um, more respectful of people's vacation times. I think people are more um, open about letting you know, I'm, I'm gone for two weeks or I'm taking a kid to an appointment or I'm going to a recital or I'm taking care of an aging parent. I think people are more, um, they're not hiding their personal lives because there's, you know, we spent two years looking in each other's homes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone has great backdrops now. Yes, almost everyone. <laughs> yeah. So since we're talking about um, your, the wellness aspect, you emphasize work-life balance in all that you do. What do you think lawyers need to do in order to make sure that they have that? Um, they have to know that they deserve it. They have to know that it's a right. They have to know that no one is going to give them that right, that they have to demand it for themselves. They have to know that it might come, like one of the things that I also do is Wellness Wednesday walks. And we, you know, it's been interesting to see, I guess five miles is a lot, but um, a five mile walk around Town Lake. And I build a lot of my wellness in with networking. And so I, you know, my my retreats are people that I end up doing business with. And so I, you know, I'm a certified yoga instructor. I taught a yoga, I've taught yoga for lawyers. I taught a yoga class for the Travis County Women's Lawyers Association. And so for me, wellness and working are not, they're not separate. They can be intertwined. And if they're intertwined, then it's a lot easier for me to make time for it. We talked about this. I was at an event where you spoke. Um, I think that there are people that are looking because of wellness, there are people that are looking for non-happy hour activities. And Absolutely. so a five mile walk yes. that is not just a happy, I love a happy hour, I do too. but to have options <laughs> yes. where that is not the case is a good thing to be yes. making sure that we're doing. Um, and I, when you described your walk, um, everybody understood that you were talking about 5 PM and I thought we were doing a five mile walk at 5 AM. And I kept thinking like, <laughs> I think I could get to town late by 4.45. That's doable. Leave my house by 4.30. That's fine. And then when I figured out it was 5 PM, I thought, oh, interesting. That's better. Yeah, I, and I'm not a morning person. And I, I also, I think, mentioned when I did that, it was a mentoring session for the, uh, I think, Travis County Women's Lawyers Association that I am training um, for Kilimanjaro. It's my third attempt. Um, but yeah, I, I typically have at least one big trip a year that involves something pretty strenuous, hiking. I, I Last year, I hiked across Tuscany, uh, the year before, I did the Camino Santiago. I've done three Camino Santiago's. And um, yeah, it's part of also how I process life is through, through, through movement and through friendships, because I've also um, made some really good friends along the way. Well, in some of this, I wonder if it's novel for law firms to understand that people need this. But my guess is when you are looking for people to place, since you value work-life balance and wellness, that helps you place people with organizations that value that as well, so that there's not a conflict. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would like that to be true. I do think that the profession is evolving. I do place a lot of women lawyers. I place a lot of lawyers of color. Um, and I do feel like I have learned um, kind of to create a safe space in my intake process for people to talk about what they're really looking for in a workplace culture. 
and I can vet a workplace culture and get us, you know, for me that, that connection, that, that placement, it's a lot more than just, um, you know, I really want that fit to last for years and years. That's important to me. I want to place people where they will thrive. Well, and you mentioned placing women and lawyers of color and in your background, besides just placing folks with their dream job, you're very committed to advancing diversity in the profession. Absolutely. Why is that so important to you? And tell us how you're doing that. Um, so it's important to me. I, you know, maybe it's because I am, you know, when I, when I started law school, I had never met a black woman lawyer. The first black woman lawyer that I met was the Dean of Career Services, um, Laquita Hamilton, who actually lives around here now. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't know any black women lawyers. I didn't know any lawyers that looked like me. And um, I don't want my kids to say the same thing. They can't say the same thing because they, you know, they've been raised around a lot of uh, women lawyers and women of color. But yeah, so it's important to me kind of personally, but also just as a profession, if our profession is the profession that upholds justice and upholds our, our, our law and order and upholds our democracy, and it, it needs to reflect the population that it's doing that for and with. And so I feel like really it's about preserving our democracy and advancing our democracy. Uh, I think it's imperative that we have a diverse bar at all levels, including at the top of our profession. Um, but I also am passionate, like beyond di diversity, just for representation that, you know, equity. And when I talk about equity, I'm talking about pay equity, um, that women lawyers and other underrepresented lawyers, lawyers of color are paid with their white male counterparts are paid, um, inclusion. And so not just that somebody is in, you know, invited to join a firm, but they really feel a sense of belonging. I am on the board of NALSC, which is the National Association of Legal Search Consultants. And I am the founding chair of their belonging committee. And I'm super excited about that um, because it's just brought a variety of voices from across the country. Um, and I was the first black woman on that board. There's one other that joined with me as well, uh, Cheryl Brown, but the, you know, it's a board that this is a new conversation for them. And it's been instrumental for me to learn how to navigate this conversation with people who aren't necessarily like I typically have this conversation among uh, black and women lawyers, like with corporate council, women of color and ABLA and Travis County women lawyers. But this is an organization where this is almost a new conversation and I'm, I'm happy to be leading it. Well, and belonging is, is interesting because it's sort of the new wave. That's why you we know, called are, it that. Yeah. yeah. There are people that are wanting it to be DEIB. Yes, absolutely. To make sure that we're reflecting. Like, and don't just let us in. Let us be welcomed. Absolutely. And I'm a big like DEIBW. Uh, that belonging and wellness are so important. And honestly, I think if we focused on the belonging and wellness, a lot of the other things would fall into place because, you know, I, I encourage my, my candidates, especially if they're thinking about a move, like before you diagnose, diagnose yourself with burnout, make sure you're not overworked and underpaid. Uh, so sometimes if we can get the compensation in line and the belonging and the well-being, everything else kind of comes into place. It's a lot easier to recruit anybody in a happy workplace. A question that you may or may not be comfortable answering. 
because you spend a lot of time watching the DEI of it in the legal community, do you think that we're getting better at, at improving the DEIB in this profession? Um, the numbers aren't not particularly, and it kind of depends on what we're talking about. I mean, if we're looking at big law as the ultimate, and we're looking at the number of, like statistically speaking, the number of black women equity partners in this country is less than 1%. So statistically, almost impossible to even calculate because there's so few. And that hasn't changed from when I started law school. It's just the needle hasn't moved. Now, if you consider that the ultimate accomplishment for a lawyer, then we haven't improved. I don't think that is the ultimate accomplishment for a lawyer. We see a lot more um, women of color who have become general counsel. And, you know, when they don't, you know, law firms tend to be up and out. And when somebody goes out, it's not like they disappear. In fact, we're seeing them thrive in corporate America. And so they're turning around to their law firms who are consumer, you know, and they're saying, where's the diverse talent? And so it's interesting to see how the pressure is coming from corporate America for law firms to diversify. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I feel like in some ways we've had a maybe a more robust conversation about it. Well, and it's an interesting question, especially for anyone maybe looking to make a change in their career. What is what's the ultimate accomplishment look like for you? It all depends on what it looks like that's for right. them. That's right. You know, that that's why I think probably that's where everyone should start. I told you um, when we were chatting before, I will periodically because I am pretty I, I stayed at my last job for over a decade. But periodically would wonder, like, is this what I should be doing? I have a I have a crisis. And then I think once I took a, you know, some sort of aptitude test and it said I should be a lawyer in state government. <laughs> and I started laughing because I thought, well, all of my research and time at the library. And that's exactly what I do. And what I like is being a lawyer in public service. I love it. But I think it's because it goes to what's for me, what's the ultimate accomplishment? Is it helping people? Is it what your paycheck says? Is it what other people perceive to be a value. Right. So I'm sure that that's where, if people started there, that would help them figure out what they want. And that's part of why we do the retreats. Um, the retreats that I've done so far have been based around the book, Designing Your Life. And we look at life in four different quadrants, health, work, love, and play, and assess how you're feeling about each of those quadrants. But when it comes to the work quadrant, I think it's really important for people's values and, and like what matters most to them to be aligned with what they're actually doing. And so if your if your values are, you know, to save Mother Earth, as an example, you're a big environmentalist and you work for an oil company that is fracking everywhere, like it's going to be really hard, I think, for you to have job satisfaction, maybe not impossible, because maybe there's a way that you've found your niche within that where you really feel like because of you, you are actually making some improvements. But I do feel for the most part that if what you're doing is, a, it's not aligned with your your values. Also, I think at different times in your life, like, um, you know, we talked about the compensation piece and when you're straight out of law school, maybe the most important perk you can get is loan repayment. And maybe further along, it's it's support with your retirement planning. And so like, there's always a little bit of, a, you're not the same person you were when you when I knew you back in law school and you're not going to be the same person even when you wake up tomorrow. 
And so I think taking the time out to actually, sometimes in your day to day, it's hard to pull back and have that reflection of like, do I like where I'm heading? How do I feel when I walk in the office? Am I serving the purpose that I'm here to serve? Am I living my values? I also think that people can get a lot of satisfaction out of community organizations. Um, and I'm involved with a lot. Sometimes I think too much, but then I'm like, well, what would I let go of? Well, yeah. So tell us what organizations have meant the most to you professionally or personally? Um, probably the, the most is Texas Minority Council Program. I was involved with that. I still am involved with Texas Minority Council Program, but I was on the steering committee for over five years and just built, we call ourselves a TMCP family. We are really there for each other professionally, personally. Um, yeah, I love Texas Minority Council Program. I also am, I love Corporate Council Women of Color. It's been a fantastic, I mean, right now there are probably over 10,000 women who are part of that organization. And I, um, I've been there from the beginning before it was conceived or actually shortly after its, con after its conception, the founder, Lori Robinson, reached out to me and said, hey, Kathy, I, I've got this idea of getting women of color, you know, in-house lawyers together from all over the country. And it's just an idea, but will you come to California? We're having a little reception. We're going to socialize this. And I said, yes. And so I spoke at their first conference and almost every conference since. And I, I speak on compensation and negotiating for the compensation that we're worth as women of color. And all of these organizations we can put in the podcast notes so that folks uh -huh. can join if they're interested, support them however they need to be supported. Great. And I would even love to put um, a link to this book, Designing Your Life. I so love that if folks it. have not read that. I love it. Then they should. I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download that book tonight. I love Designing Your Life. Yeah, it's a great book. And I do feel like part of what it really encourages people to do is Almost like I think lawyers can get so serious about everything that we don't really try things out anymore, especially as we get older. We're like, well, this is what I do and this is who I am. And and the, the book really encourages people to like do informational interviews. You don't have to even call it an informational interview. But when I was thinking about becoming a legal recruiter um, and I was recruited by, by Bob Major, by the way, to, you know, I got recruited by a recruiter. I went and talked to several other recruiters about what it was like. and um. I encourage people, if you're thinking about making a transition, transitioning practice areas, transitioning work environments, transitioning cities to, to tap into your network and not be afraid to have those conversations. So you've led us into our last question, which was going to be, what advice would you give to people looking for a change? Oh. But since we've just talked about that, I wonder if you have advice for who makes a great candidate? For when if someone came to you uh -huh. looking for something new, what makes okay. a, what makes a great candidate for you to be able to put them somewhere? I mean, for me at this point in my career, someone that knows what they want. Um, I have spent time as a career counselor. I love being a career counselor, but I'm not a career counselor anymore. I am a I, I place law firm partners um, and in house lawyers. I place general counsels and. Um, Every once in a while, I place a select associate, but I tend to work with people that are at the kind of the top of their career, that have a portable book of business, that um, kind of have a vision for where they want their practice to go and why they want to move platforms. I also love to get referrals for um, companies and law firms that are looking to fill job orders. 
and uh, work all over the country. That's wonderful. So if people want to work with you, uh-huh. they need to read this book and figure out what they want first, <laughs> or maybe go to their own counselor to try to figure out what makes them tick and then come to you with something specific about what they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it, it's easier. I mean, sometimes people come and they're really open-minded, but a lot of times they come if they don't, if they just generally are unhappy, I encourage them. I do not encourage people to make a move if, if it's not the job. And so sometimes I think people think, well, let me switch the job and then everything else will fall into place. But I have pretty intense conversations with people and we pull the onion back a little bit and maybe they're unhappy in their home life or maybe they've, you know, need to be taking better care of themselves or maybe there's another fix and it's not just switching jobs. And so I usually encourage people to really take some time to figure out what's really happening with them. And is it their career or is there something else that they want to make some adjustments with? Um, I never want somebody to move for the wrong reasons into the wrong role. This is how you become everybody's counselor. (laughs) Is you start asking questions and then you find out all their business and you say, wait, that's not the problem. Right. That is true. That is true. But no, it's a, it's really like a privilege to be allowed into people's lives. Um, I, people, I mean, it, I ask people what they make. Like, people tell me everything. Um, and I keep a lot. I mean, like, confidentiality is is paramount to what I do. And so when somebody tells me that they're unhappy or that they're thinking about a move or that, you know, they're going through a divorce or that they've, you know, got a diagnosis that that has them giving them pause about the the speed at which they're currently working, all of that stays with me. Well, I think that's why it's so lovely that you're giving up your time and you talk to people like at TCWLA. And I believe you were a speaker at the Well Summit. I did speak the at year. the Well Summit. Yes. Um, and that's an event that I've talked about a lot on this podcast because uh-huh. we don't talk about those things as mm-hmm. women specifically. Yes. We don't talk about, well, how do I ask for a raise? What is my starting salary supposed to be? Uh-huh. What's yours? It's right. it's not a comfortable thing that anyone taught us how to do. Right. I except that I do. I mean, I, I... Well, because <laughs> you because you've always been a career services yes. professional. Yes. But I think for for regular law students, mm. it no one knows you're supposed to ask that. And then when you're a baby associate. Right. Um, so it's great that you give your time to help have those conversations so that we can figure out, oh, those are normal discussions to have. Yes. It's important to normalize that conversation around compensation and all of the different elements of compensation. I can, I can kind of geek out on compensation. It's something I'm really interested in because I do feel like, um, especially as women, to, 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 our, to give voice to normalizing it's not, we shouldn't in some ways have to ask, but we do and we should. And the more of us that ask and also just normalizing that conversation of sharing um, compensation, especially at, at companies, knowing what some of the potential benefits are, some of the perks, those can really add up. And so if we're not having those conversations and it's all kind of kept under wraps, we could be leaving a lot on the table. In fact, the average woman lawyer over the course of her career will leave about a million dollars in compensation on the table. Good grief. Y'all ladies, (laughs) ladies, are you listening to this? That's why something that's a little bit foreign to me because I worked in state government for so long is the transparency, good or bad. You Uh can find anybody's salary that works for the state online. Yeah. And so there are no secrets. Right. If you are this position, right. Everybody makes the same amount. That's why I don't work for the state. 
I did for many, many years. And I was like, yeah, I. <laughs> well, all that to say, like to make the jump from state to we don't talk about it. Right. Is confusing. Right. Because. Yes. The newspaper used to put all of our salaries on right. blast every time there was an update. Um, there was one time an article at the agency I worked for and it listed, you know, the state agency, they all got raises and it listed everybody's name and title. Um, and my title for some reason was in quotations as if it was fake. I was the, uh, was essentially the project management officer, but it was called project portfolio and policy office. And it was in quotes. And I thought, Hey, now that's a, <laughs> that's a real title in the state government and the state agency, but we just got used to it, you know, wow. whatever. And so there were no secrets. If we were all the same level, there's no way to make a deal so that the male gets paid more than I do. You know, that's, I mean, honestly, that's part of why I left the law school is because I was paid less than my male counterparts and um, that didn't fly with me and I didn't have to stay there. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's why I think that these are important conversations because I think people coming into state government would have the reaction of, oh my gosh, why are you telling anybody what I make? Mm -hmm. At the time, it seemed really freeing, like, well... Right. I guess we're going to do this. And if you get a raise and we're at the same level, we all get the same. Um, but, you know, state compensation is wildly different than private sector. Right. I mean, but there are law firms that are, um, you know, there's so many different types of compensation. And especially within a law firm, I mean, there's open comp, there's closed comp, there's a hybrid system where you have to go ask a certain person on a certain day what everybody makes. There's compensation committees that are elected, that are selected. Um, there are all different formulas, and some formulas reward people with higher originations or higher working attorney hours or higher collections or higher billing hours. Like, it's a whole, I mean, there are whole books written on law firm compensation, but no matter how you slice it, even at firms that are locked step, women make less than men. How do we change that? One conversation at a time, one request at a time one talk at a time. I mean, it is why I will talk about compensation and negotiating compensation. I link it also with well-being because I do believe that if that being fairly compensated is one of the components of well-being. And I'm sure you know this. There, there was some HR study I saw once that people aren't necessarily dissatisfied with their salary. It's their salary relative to what somebody else makes that they perceive works less than them. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, I usually encourage people, don't even worry about what everybody else, don't, like what what's happening outside is not as important as, as you knowing what you should be making and making sure that you know every aspect of the compensation package, what you could be negotiating for. Because there are some, especially like in-house, I mean, there's company cars and there are, you know, 401k plans and different levels that you can be at where especially if you're getting equity, that's, that's where real millionaires are made is with, is with equity packages and really making sure that you're understanding your own equity and when it best and how it best and cliff vesting. And I mean, it can get very complex to the point where you might even want to have a lawyer help you understand your comp package if you're an in-house lawyer negotiating. Well, it sounds like um, you are going to be valuable to a lot of people for a long time. <laughs> Is there anything that you'd like to tell our audience that we haven't talked about yet? Um, you know, I mean, I really haven't talked about my kids. And Talk about your kids, <laughs> yes. And like, I, other than to say that I brought my my firstborn to a job interview, and we actually, um, he passed away a couple of years ago. I don't talk about it a lot publicly, 
but it's something that's always in my heart, um, especially this time of year. And um, the way the community really rallied. Uh, there were so many different organizations from the mamas to like our work lives and our our personal lives are intertwined. And um, I want to do something that it was worth all of the time that I spent away from my kids. And so I do have two that one just graduated from Texas State and one is a senior at UTSA. And I definitely, Amanda, you're crying. <laughs> they can't see me right now. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's, I very rarely talk about it, but I do feel like it's something that's worth mentioning because I give so much to the community and the community gave so much back to me when I really needed it. Well, they're doing it because you put all this good out in the world. So thank you for doing that. Oh my gosh. Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you so much. I know that, um, I know that everybody who works for you and listens to you and has had the pleasure to be around you feels the same way. It's why I talk about feelings. Yeah. Is because we have, we have them. We have them when we walk into our workplaces and we have them when we have a bad day or when we get rejected for a job or when we have a loss or when, you know, these poor judges hear so much trauma and like, there's a lot of secondary trauma and a lot of pressure in our profession. And I just feel like I want to normalize even, even crying during a podcast. Let's normalize it. Well, Kathy, I'm so glad um, for all that you're doing to help people particularly women and lawyers of color, because it's amazing that you knew not everybody is so single focused and knows that they have the path mm. that you knew you were not deterred. This is your, you know, this is what the, I'm put on the, the universe said that this is what you're supposed to do. And they were right. Um, and so I hope people call you and ask for help. And uh, I'm excited to see who is going to reach out. It, can, can folks join your wellness retreats? Absolutely. And your wellness Wednesdays, so we can put that stuff in the chat also. Absolutely. Yes. We're we're now we're pending the the wellness Wednesday walks until after I get back from Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. Just because it's gotten really dark at yep. that time. And um this upcoming retreat is in March. It's sold out. Mm -hmm. But I will be having more retreats. I actually have a little ranch. It's called El Ranchito in Driftwood. And am looking forward to I I just hosted a yoga workshop last month. I am a certified yoga instructor. I've gotten a new certification in Kundalini. I want to bring wellness a little bit closer to folks. But we don't have to go to Barbados. And so in the future, I'll be having more kind of sound healing and yoga at the little ranch in Driftwood and would love to see local lawyers join more of our wellness retreats and workshops. Well, I'm in. I'm going to El Ranchito. Yes. Um, and I encourage all of y'all to join me. So thank you so much for being here. And we'll see y'all next time.